Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, Trail Mix is the short format episodes of our show. While our long format episodes explore one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time, Trail Mix allows us to dive deeper into things we didn't get to cover in our long format episodes. And Happy New Year! What is it about the New Year that gives you hope, Mike? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but seriously... Nothing. Actually, I guess there's a lot of positive to look forward to. There's a chance to start over. But honestly, if you have to wait to January 1st for that, perhaps prioritize your personal growth. Any day is a day to start over. Your birthday... Arbor Day, a random Wednesday in July. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that we all place this emphasis on a single day as a quote-unquote refresh. We all got that power in us, boo. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I I totally agree. Yeah. That is about as dark-sighted as I expected from you. Well, I mean, naturally. But with a tiny little bit of hopeful twist. Mm -hmm. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I agree with you. I I do believe that we get to points in our lives where it's like, hey, you get a do-over here. Like, I feel like everybody gets that. Mulligans for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're built into life, right? You know, it's like, okay, I tried this thing and it didn't work out. Built in underwear and running shorts for life. (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) So we do have these moments in life where it's like, let me go through a checkpoint. I'm using a video game reference, but let me go through a checkpoint, maybe take a break for a second, renew all of my energy, then keep going. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, But I mean, there has to be music to that, right? <laughs> you can tell we've been watching White Lotus. Um, but my thing is like, we all come to those on our own timeline. Right. and terms. And sort of forcing it on January 1st feels yeah. like, well, that's the reason why no one ever... <laughs> sticks to their new year's resolution exactly because it's forced right right it's not like on your own terms it's like this sort of because society (laughs) because society right yeah so that's where that's how i feel about new year's i mean like i get it but i'm also like there are so many opportunities for you to 
take that leap for yourself and it doesn't have to be something that you do and wait for on January 1st to do. The other thing is like a New Year's resolution is this sort of like open-ended promise to yourself. Yeah. It's sort of going like, hey, let me just set impossible expectations on myself and then you just disappoint yourself. Have you been reading my journal? (laughs) (laughs) But any kind of, um, you know, new thing, Mm -hmm. I feel like thrives if you give it a time limit. Sure. Like I just said, I want to start practicing my Spanish more. That's right. And I figured out a way to do that. And like I said this a few weeks ago, I'm like, I'm going to do this for a month and then I'm going to check in with myself and see where I am. But like, I'm not committing to do this every day for a year. You know what I mean? Like that feels like an impossible promise to make because I might be doing something else in February that requires that time or whatever. It's like relationships too. Yeah. And I know we're spiraling here, but like, you know, marriage have like your like three year check in. Three year like, check in. How are we doing? We still like this? Do we want to renew this marriage contract? <laughs> exactly. I'm all in favor right? of that. I know. It's like I can we commit to this for this in. long, you know? So, anyway, not that we're not people that are interested in monogamy. We have spiraled out of New Year's. We've set these impossible expectations for ourselves all the time. But this idea of like open ended, indefinite promises, mm-hmm. all it does is promote capitalism (laughs) there it is and that's your dark-sidedness despite mike's obvious stance and my own for that matter uh 2022 was a year but now it's in the past and here we are ready to charge ahead into new adventures while also learning a lot along the way while we didn't travel a great deal in 2022 we did get another national park onto our list when we visited Hot Springs National Park in Arkansas. We also got to meet and connect with some wonderful folks who, like us, hold the national parks and the outdoors in a special place in their hearts. So despite my outward glibness, there was definitely some beauty in all of the ruins. And there it is. (laughs) There it is. Exactly. At the end of the day, you're a giant warm cookie. Well, to kind of cap off the 2022 calendar year, we wanted to take a look back at some of the biggest national parks news and recap some of the victories and losses when it came to public lands. So let's dive in. Let's start out with some environmental news, specifically related to fire. As we've discussed before many times, fire is a part of the natural life cycle of a forest, but untamed fires brought on by drought and lack of snowpack are becoming more and more of a reality and less natural and more driven by climate change. Major fires near or in parks included blazes in May, which caused the closures of Bandelier National Monument and Valais Caldera National Preserve, California's Washburn Fire, which ripped through southern parts of Yosemite National Park, and an August fire on Michigan's Isle Royale. So yeah, I mean, fire is a thing that is somewhat unavoidable at this point. There are so many things that we've talked about, both in episodes and just in general, you know, when we're not recording, when it comes to fire. And yes, it is. I mean, we've learned time and time again, it is a totally natural part of the life cycle of a forest. And it often helps regenerative growth, and it also helps to enrich the soil. But when you have these fires that, as we all know it, unless we've been living under a rock, are just wild, literally wildfire, that cannot be tamed, where firefighters are exhausted, coming in from all different states to try to contain them, that's not what we're talking about here. And part of this is the lack of snowpack now. Right. Yeah. And changing climate. You know, the West is in a mega drought. 
that they haven't seen something like this for 1200 years. I mean, this is going to factor into some other things we talk about in a minute, but I think the expectation is that there's going to be loss. Yeah. I remember you shared this video with me of the scientist who did this comparison video of moderately temperate soil absorbing rain versus dry right. soil not being able to absorb rain. Right. And so that's where you get flash floods. And this is where we get flash floods. Another thing we'll talk about in a moment. But there is a bit of a catch-22 there when it comes to, like, dry land and its ability to absorb water versus... Land that's receiving rain periodically? Yeah, land that's receiving rain periodically. And so because of this, you don't get, like, a continued, any kind of sustained moisture inside of... The soil. Inside of the soil. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, with the expectation of loss, I think something else to kind of be expectant of is closures, whether that be long-term closures or whether it be, listen, the park is closed today or this national preserve is closed today or this national forest is closed today or, you know, for a week because of fire. And I think that's something, especially if you're planners and you're planning a trip, and we can speak to this just having done a five-week trip that was very planned out, we would have obviously had to pivot and we would have made you know, the most of that pivoting. But I think that some people would be very angry. Like, oh, oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I think also back to expectations, national parks are living, breathing environments. Right. And while our government has designed them to be available and open to people, first and foremost, the conservation and preservation of their space is first thing on their priority list. Exactly. That means that people may not be able to go there sometimes. Yeah. On the opposite end of all of this is Deluge. We can't really talk about National Parks news in 2022 without mentioning the historic flooding in the greater Yellowstone area. Late season heavy snow coupled with heavy rains and warm temperatures caused the Yellowstone River to break from its bounds and wash roads and structures away. This flooding obviously wreaked havoc on the entire Yellowstone area and seriously impacted not only the park and its wildlife, but the people who call the greater Yellowstone area their home. Being such an iconic park, Yellowstone has received upward of 3 to 4 million visitors annually, receiving just shy of 5 million visitors in 2021. This unprecedented event obviously led to the shift in plans for millions who plan to explore the landscape of the park. So obviously, this was a devastating surprise when we saw this happening in Yellowstone. Right, right. Most of the damage happened in the northeast corner of the park. Mm-hmm. They did close basically all of the park for a bit and then opened up just some of it Yeah, as the flooding and the damage was all in the northeast area. Right. And as they were able to assess what was safe, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Again, preservation and safety being mm-hmm. the, the hallmark of what mm-hmm. the NPS is trying to do with the park spaces. But here we have an example of nature responding to climate change and creating absolute disaster. Yeah. You know, responding to what we were saying about pivoting plans. If we had taken our road trip that we had done in the summer of 2021 this summer, we would have had to majorly pivot. Um, Also, there was, having been in contact with Becky Lomax, going to the Sun Road didn't open until mid-July. We would have not been able to access Glacier at the same time. So it just definitely goes to show that the climate is swinging wildly. Even talking to her now, like they were getting their first big snows in November. 
when typically like the road gets closed in mid-October for safety. So it just is, you know, it's a fascinating, obviously drifting away from Yellowstone a little bit here, but it's fascinating to see the shifts of the climate. And for people that live in these spaces, how, and have lived there for a long time, how wildly they can see the climate shifting. Right. Yeah. So the one thing to really just be amazed by is how the response happened. And I mean, obviously, there's still things going on. When we were in Yellowstone in 2021, there was a lot of construction that was still happening. We couldn't fully complete both loops of the road because that construction was going on. The sort of center road was closed. Right. So we had eight. Yeah. So we had to kind of like do the loop three quarters of the way around, then do the other loop three quarters of the way around. From the assessment of damage, like in mid-June to the end of August and the beginning of the fall, roadways were repaired. The entrances were reopened or temporarily reopened in a way that would allow visitors to come in to the northeast and the north north entrance. So I feel like that's a incredibly quick timeline considering when you think about construction in the national parks how long that can take so there was a lot of very fast response and i think a lot of that speaks to probably the prestige of the park it being the first national park what it is to people and knowing that they wanted to be able to make it as accessible as possible and as safe as possible as quickly as they could speaking of water and the mega drought of the west it's hard to ignore the impact of the two major reservoirs and sources of water for the western U.S., Lake Mead and Lake Powell, both of which are national recreation areas in the national park system. The loss of water in these reservoirs is alarming for several reasons, but in a big way, it plays very much into the sustainability of western states and their cities and municipalities. While water for drinking and for agriculture is a concern, power production from the dams in each of these lakes also raises concerns for the electrical needs of these areas. At a certain point, the water in the lakes will drop beneath a minimum threshold for the power stations at these lakes to be able to generate power. For Lake Powell, that may come as soon as July of 2023, whereas Lake Mead may be able to sustain through the next two years before that becomes an issue. So we talked a little bit about Lake Mead in our Ghost Towns episode, Mm -hmm. which I highly recommend everybody go listen to. Mm -hmm. The Ghost Towns trail mix, which is all about varying ghost towns in the national park system and in American history. But Lake Mead right now, like the when a dam is created, there is a lake that forms, right? A reservoir Mm -hmm. that forms, right? And that is a French word for like a area that is reserved of a certain resource. And so that water does change. The levels of that water fluctuates, but right now it is lower than it has been since it was created. Right. Since they created the dam to make Lake Mead. Yeah. And I mean, if you take a look at the photos, specifically Lake Mead, you can see how you can see where the water line once used to be because the cliff walls of the reservoir are stark white where the water used to cover. Whereas above that, it's kind of like the red rock. It's a very clear indicator of what's happening. There were so many articles about boat ramps in these spaces in these recreation areas that had to be closed because I know and I know it's like boohoo, but like that had to be closed because the water level had dropped too far for them to be functional anymore. Yeah. So it's a situation where people are going to have to adapt. It makes me nervous when I hear people that are like, Yeah, I'm moving to California. I'm like to Southern California. I'm moving to or you know, people that I know that live in these spaces. Because yeah. I'm like, this is going to become, you know, an issue, like a 
a very big issue. I mean, even in the Northeast this summer, we had next to no rain. We had like two days of rain. Like walking around reservoirs that are local, the water level had significantly dropped. So it's an issue that we're all going to have to deal with in some way, shape, or form. These arid regions of the country, though, more so and more quickly, especially when it comes to power production, which a lot of power comes through the generator generation of power through these dams through the hoover dam and through the dam in lake powell i don't know that that has a name i'm sure it does but i'm not certain of it yeah Mm -hmm. you'd think that solar and wind would start to take a big big leap forward in these Uh spaces where there's a lot of sun and yeah well it doesn't solve the water crisis no i do feel like we need to collaborate with the with an economy podcast to talk about why that's not happened (laughs) yet you know and i feel like that's also the work of policy as sure. well and to to figure out why those things haven't been more mm-hmm. incentivized mm-hmm. i i also think about how in the science of gorges trail mix we talk about how there's been a lot of work to create wind turbines inside of gorges because right. of the wind right especially up in uh the pacific northwest Right. So while that was a lot of doom, which is sort of my wheelhouse, some earth science and climate related news in the national parks, which is more of a natural earth process, is the eruption of Mauna Loa on the big island of Hawaii. For so many, this is fascinating as Mauna Loa is the world's largest active volcano. For us, it's really neat because when we visited Hawaii Volcanoes National Park in 2019, there were speculations about when Kilauea might erupt again due to water that had accumulated in the Halamaumau crater. Since that time, Kilauea had been closely monitored, and in September of 2021, the Halamaumau crater began to fill with magma. While Kilauea is technically erupting, it is so far not as explosive or damaging as the eruption there in 2018. And to remind everybody listening, magma and lava are basically the same substance, except magma is inside of a volcano. We call it lava when it's on the outside Mm -hmm. of a volcano. But in November of 2022, Mauna Loa decided to join the party too. This eruption is the first of its kind since 1984. There is more lava flow associated with Mauna Loa, which is about 20 miles from Kilauea. And so far, there has been no major damage or loss of life associated with either eruption. Nature at work, right, girl? Mm -hmm. Better work. (laughs) You Um, better work. I mean, it's fascinating. I'm, uh, you know, I feel like we had talked to some folks who were in Hawaii volcanoes right after they had gone in 2018, right around the time of the eruption or right before. I can't, they were able to visit the Thurston lava tubes. So it must have been before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the eruption happened. And obviously those were all. Yeah, we weren't able to. We weren't able to do do that. that. And part of the Kilauea Ike Trail was still closed when we Mm -hmm. were in Hawaii Volcanoes. Because again, they were assessing safety and damage at the time. And so it's really fascinating to have been in a space that was technically active, although not as active as it is now, to like be able to like have experienced that. Um, firsthand. I'm sure it's very wild to be there right now, to be able to see this in action. And I'm sure people are freaking the geek out because both of these volcanoes are doing their thing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One more so than the other, but it's it's interesting. Like, it's it's fascinating when this is something that you can see in real time. And the lava is flowing. Yeah. It's flowing yeah. for real right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. 
Now that we've talked a little bit about the natural aspects of the national parks as it related to climate and earth science, which there are definitely more, but these were kind of the cherry-picked highlights, let's turn to another topic as it relates to the parks in 2022, adjustments to policies. Specifically, let's look at two policies that will impact the parks currently and one that will eventually step into the limelight. The first of which is the reservation system in the national parks so many opinions about this. Mm -hmm. Now there are people that come down on both sides of this argument, but a lot of the reason that these reservation systems have come into play is due to increased volume of visitorship to the parks overall. Some reservation systems that are widely known and have been previously active include the reservation system for Cadillac Mountain in Acadia National Park and the reservation system to access going to the Sun Road in Glacier National Park, as well as a timed arrival ticket for Rocky Mountain National Park. But this year specifically, Arches, Zion, and Shenandoah National Parks have added some specific reservations to either enter the park itself or access a popular trail. For Zion, reservations are now needed to access the chained portion of Angel's Landing. I'm in favor of that, not going to lie. <laughs> Just like in Shenandoah, where permits are given to climb Old Rag Mountain, for Arches, time tickets were issued to be able to enter the park itself. So we've experienced some of this time ticketing. Um, at least at we have, and yeah. and we've we've done all of the things that I just mentioned. Right. Yes, and all the things that have been previously mentioned, even yeah. uh, Rocky Mountain. I do feel like with Glacier having never experienced the chaos of going to the Sun Road prior to the reservation system, I do feel like it was easy to access the road. There's also like a little bit of a loophole to how to get to the road. If you don't have the ticket reservation, it just involves getting up the crack of butt dawn early. Very early. Um, or yeah. or waiting until, you know, five o'clock. After going hours. In. Yeah. You know, if you're there in midsummer, the sun is up until 11 anyway. So Why not? I do feel like it does control that flow of traffic. And I'm sure it makes it easier. We never really had a big issue. The one parking issue we had was Trail of Cedars. And that was like we were there midday because we had an issue with the car. Yeah. So like yeah. other than that, we were in early as we often do and were able to find parking pretty easy. It's true. I mean, generally speaking, the locals that we spoke to were rather in favor of the ticketing system well, in Glacier. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Having the road not be congested at all times, mm -hmm. but also it limited their own able ability to access right. it. Right, especially if they live near the park and have right. called the park home, their home park for so, so long. So I do feel like when it comes to ticketed reservations, one of the solutions that I think we all need to be talking about is local access. Right. And like what that looks like. And I do feel like in the same way that we have in-state tuition for, you know, state schools or right. whatever versus out of state. I think that there can be something that is created for locals, like a type of local pass right. or something. Yeah. That I know when we brought it up to Becky was like, well, what does a local mean? Like here yeah. in Montana, things are so spread out. So yeah. is a local 20 miles away? I know. Like, so it, I know. you have to draw a line somewhere and not everybody's going to be happy, but that's life. It is. Um, it is. I do feel like for you know, the ticketed reservations for... So for Cadillac Mountain, that wasn't an issue for us because we climbed it um, when we were in Acadia. But I understand it can be very congested up there. For Zion, I do feel like that makes a lot of sense because you those know, chains, those got chains busy. get very busy. We busy. got out very easily, but getting back was difficult. And Old Rag 
it's interesting. The tickets there are not for parking. It's just a permit to climb the mountain. Mm-hmm. So they're like, arrive early because your permit does not include parking. And right. that's that's the bigger issue at old when we were there. That there is wasn't, not a big parking lot. There was not, but there weren't a lot of people on the trail. It didn't feel congested. But no. I know that it gets very popular. But so I also want to talk about like, arches. And there's no way to solve this problem. Arches has a two-lane road. Yeah. That you dead have ends. to drive up yeah. on top of a mesa in order to get to the park. Yeah. It's like you're down on a highway and then you exit off of it and you have to go up a couple of switchbacks to the entrance. And that's how you access arches. Well, I mean, there's a gate at the bottom of the highway. There's like there a, is a gate yeah, at the bottom. You have to go through that. Right. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like, but that's how you do arches. That's how you get there. Right. I mean, except unless you are accessing it from some backcountry entrance, which wasn't really a thing that we found. Right. But I say that to say like, I remember leaving even when we did it and it was like the line to get yeah. up yeah. was wild. Yeah. Because arches is, you come up the few switchbacks in the car to basically get on top of the mesa and then you have a long road that dead ends. Yeah. And then, you know, with some jut-offs. Yeah. And then you just come back and you go back down the way you came. Yeah. And that's and a lot of pull-off and park and walk very briefly to the arch. Right. And then come back to the car. There are some, obviously, trails, but it's the delicate arch trail and it's Devil's Garden. Like, really, that's yeah. it, it, right? That's it. Um, I mean, and then you've got the, like, the... Um, the avenue, the thing that yeah, looks Park like Avenue, Park Avenue, yeah, and so it's like it, it makes sense for congestion for parking because again, the parking areas there aren't that large. There's some like roadside pull off that you could do, but again, they're trying to keep things safe. Another landmark change was an announcement that as of 2032, national park sites are banning single-use plastic within their boundaries. This includes the sale of items like plastic water bottles and using of plastic utensils. Instead, more eco-friendly and compostable materials will be on the table. I love this. I feel like we should have been doing this a long time ago. We also both live in New Jersey where they have gotten rid of plastic bags now. Right. Like with any kind of change, there has definitely been like a, like you hear some of the grumbling and then people deal with it because it's the law now. Right. Or people steal or sharp shopping, uh, like handheld baskets, which is something we've like, we went into to the grocery store fairly recently to buy some stuff to make something. And it was like, where's the bas? where are the baskets and then the manager was like oh people steal them because they forget to bring their uh reusable bags mm-hmm. we were like wow yeah people will just take anything where they could buy a reusable bag for like 10 cents too yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and you know what that's gonna mean it's gonna mean you're gonna you're gonna forget sometimes yeah and you're gonna have to buy a few 10 cent yeah. reusable bags you're gonna end up with a lot of them yeah it's just the nature of how it goes. Yeah. I think it's a great move, but that is nine years from now. Yeah. Like what yeah. the what's the hold up there? Like I, I it's it's a sound incorporate now. It's astounding to me that it's gonna take that long. That's that's my I think it's great. Right. But I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> well, I hope that I mean I'm sure it will in some ways and then it won't in other ways for some people, but like I hope it encourages people to understand that when entering a national park space, like you have to be responsible for yourself. Right. Meaning like bring your utensils with you. Yeah. Pack in. Pack pack in and pack out. Like take the things that you need. That's why, you know, gear exists. Also, like you don't even have to go buy camping gear 
for so much of this. Like, yeah. bring a fork from home yeah. that you can then wash. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah. The national park system is always growing, as the National Park Service is America's storyteller. Many important sites that tell the history of the country have been added in years past as national historic sites. In 2022, President Biden announced the addition of two, Amache National Historic Site and Blackwell School National Historic Site. Amache National Historic Site was once known as Granada Relocation Center and was one of the 10 incarceration sites built for internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. If you weren't aware of this embarrassing and dark chapter in our nation's history, essentially after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, there was a worry that Japanese Americans would act as spies and saboteurs, and therefore executive orders were issued by President Roosevelt to incarcerate over 127,000 Japanese Americans against their will. Really not a great look for a country who already had slavery under its belt and was trying to liberate Europe and free captive minorities there. The other site that became a national monument was Blackwell School in Marfa, Texas. This site was the sole educational facility for Hispanic students from 1909 to 1965. The site is a testament to segregation in education. Despite the fact that there was no rule against white and Hispanic students being schooled together, Texas school districts often took the onus on themselves to wantonly segregate as they wished. We America! It's very important to preserve these sites. Not that the national parks system is going to solve this problem for us, but America obviously has a whitewashing rewriting history problem. Right. Where we go like, oh, there's this thing we're not that proud of. Let's sort of... Most of the time, they don't even take a moment to acknowledge, I say they, like America. Sure. We don't take a moment to necessarily even acknowledge the harm caused and the Mm -hmm. absolute atrocities and damage and disaster that it's caused. And we just sort of like take a moment of remembrance Mm -hmm. and move on. Mm -hmm. Right. But I do feel like the national park system has an opportunity to go, no, 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 let's preserve these as they are and tell the truth of what happened here so that we can remember it so we don't repeat it. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And Lord, if people don't think things can like repeat themselves, like just take a look at the last five years. Well, just look outside your window for people goose stepping down the street. Right. Well, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But for real though. (laughs) Yeah. So learning from the past is how we don't repeat it. It is true. And also how we see the evolution of thinking. But I do feel like it's more important now than ever. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And while the park system is always growing, legal battles can sometimes hamstring the growth or at least leave it in limbo for quite some time. One of the 45th president's early defining acts related to the national park system was the shrinking in size of Bear Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments. When President Biden took office, he reversed these decisions. Now, a legal fight is brewing as mining interests, off-road vehicle companies, and the state of Utah are suing to have the decision reversed to the size deemed by the 45th president. Plenty of interested parties are working to defend the original and reestablished boundaries of these parklands, including indigenous tribes like the Hopi, Navajo, and Ute, as well as conservationists. This legal battle doesn't only concern tribal sacred space and natural conservation, but the Antiquities Act, which was used to secure the boundaries of the monuments. This could very easily like upend a lot. Um, because, you know, the Supreme Court <laughs> right. likes to just like be like, oh, this precedent that actually makes sense and like was established to, you know, do things that 
affected people that were in the minority or um, preserve things. Um, just like, let's throw it out. It's garbage. Now we're just cooking with conservative gas. And that's just like tear everything down and make it white and Christian. And right. colonize, colonize, colonize. Yeah. Sorry, I have opinions about. Well, you know. absolutely. That yeah. is, I mean, it's yeah. all an extension of that. Yeah. It's yeah. all an extension of that. Yeah. Yeah. Colonize and control. Control women's bodies. Take land away from people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not we... saying that, I'm not saying that one's faith does all of that. But what I am saying is that the movement of evangelical Christians in this country, the movement of Christian religion at all in this country mm-hmm. is entirely 100% at all times connected to colonization. Come for us in the comments. <laughs> come, come for us in the comments. We'll talk to you there. And that the establishment of religion and the, um, I'm going to use this word crusade. It's a word that has been used historically as like, connected to Christianity mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. The crusade connected between like Christianity and land. It is wild and ridiculous. And like it is absolutely entrenched in all of our government. And uh, so, yeah, which is why, you know, we do have so many opinions about the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And now that we've cooled off a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, in a sea of National Park news from 2022, of which there is plenty we didn't get to cover here, some important news came to the parks by way of two major pieces of legislation, the Infrastructure Bill and the Inflation Reduction Act. While the Infrastructure Bill was passed in August 2021, The bill itself will impact the national parks for five years with $1.73 billion going to the park system itself. Much of this money goes to infrastructure, so think roadways and connections and moving to greener vehicles used within the parks. With the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act in 2022, an additional $1 billion was endowed to the parks with the idea in mind that conservation and protection of these lands is integral to not only the natural splendor, but the fight against climate change. Some things that are specifically written into the Inflation Reduction Act include money to hire new park staff, including scientists and preservationists. There's also money for conservation and habitat restoration Mm -hmm. that is in partnership with the Bureau of Land Management. Money to protect the resiliency of natural and cultural and historic resources. And there's also money for all of the deferred maintenance backlog. Right. This is a boon to the National Park Service, who has a $22 billion deferred backlog, which, I mean, it's going to be like a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things, but it's hopefully a step in the right direction. So there is, I feel like, a lot of opportunity here for the National Park Service to come correct and to utilize this money for purposes that would be helpful to continue to not only maintain the space, but um, maintain the access that really is a part of the mission of the Park Service to allow people to be able to experience these spaces, whether they be historic sites, recreation areas or parks themselves Um, and clearly this deferred backlog which is grand there are really important projects there that would continue to allow access and continue to allow the park system to tell the story of the country in so many different ways specifically when we think of historic sites that tell the stories as we've mentioned of people in the minority indigenous people women queer people and really utilize funding to be able to continue to act not only as an experience but an educational experience the sources for today's trail mix include the national park service the national parks conservation association the united states geological survey and outsideonline.com. 
And now let's end this episode like we end many of our episodes with some Jeopardy-style trivia. Great. Since this episode is a little bit about sort of like the wins and losses of this year when it comes to National Park Service, Mm -hmm. I decided to do a whole category all about games. Great. Games of the past. Games of the past, past, past. In order to do this category, we're actually going to play a game from the past. Okay. But in order to figure out what game we're playing, you have to... It's layered. You're going to have to do a question in the style of the category. Okay. So I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to describe a game for you. Okay. Based entirely on title. Okay. I want you to imagine that we're walking through the store and we're looking at games. Okay. And you go, well, what is this game about? And then I make up something that this game is about. So it's not how you play the actual game. Okay. It's just an absolute, like, invention about what the game would be. Based off of the title? Based on the title. Okay. I think I got you. So in order to get the title of this category, we're going to do the first clue. Okay. This is a game about races, 50 yards, 100 yards, particularly sprinting. And to win the game, your sprint must be performed with more courage and bravery than that of your opponents. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sprinting? Mm -hmm. Races? 50 yard, 100 yard. yard, What do you call those? Um, Measurements? No, like the 50 yard line. Think field day. Dash. Great. Okay, that's okay. part of the word. Okay. Okay, so to do that dash that's braver and more courageous than that of everybody else. Dash boldly. Right, but flip them. Boldly dash. Boulder dash. There you what go. What is boulder dash? Boulder dash. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. So we're playing Yikes. boulder dash for this category. Okay. That's what this entire category is about. Okay. I'm going to describe a board game that one might have played in the 90s. Okay. Based entirely on the title. Okay. And you have to guess the title. It's going to be rough. <laughs> so it's like I've been given the name of the game right. in Boulder Dash, and I have to come up with how it's played. I understand. And Boulder Dash is a game where you are given a word, and then everybody goes around and creates a definition for the word, mm-hmm. and then um, you have to guess to see who's right or guess to see who's, um, or figure out as the judge which definition you like the most. Mm. And and then everybody, also, there's like points for like getting close to the definition. Anyway, Got it. that's, have you played Boulder Dash? No. Oh my God, I love, we would love that. Game. Mm-hmm. Okay, for 100. Okay. This is a game where you get to cosplay as Helen Hunt or Bill Paxton and chase tornadoes in Oklahoma. What is Twister? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> okay. So you get it. Okay, yes. great. Okay. For 200. I love that. I would love to cosplay as Helen. <laughs> right. We got cows. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. For 200. This is a game that should never be played ever. It's totally off limits. And you've already lost if you even touch the box. God. Um, I like it's somewhere in my brain. And if you can't get it, I will tell you the real rules of the game. Right, right, right. Can't be played ever. ever. Never. Don't even touch the box. Off limits. I don't know. Don't I'm even sorry. say the title. I don't know. Okay, I'm so struggling. the way you would actually play is you're trying to get people to guess, but there are certain words you can't use. 
Oh, what is um, taboo? Taboo. Taboo. Got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> You've lost even if you touch the box. <laughs> For 300. <laughs> I knew it was somewhere in there. This game is less about a board and playing pieces and more about moving through your everyday, going to work, making money, and trying to be happy. What is the game of life? Correct. Yeah. For 400. Making money and trying to be happy. (laughs) Yeah. For 400. There is really nothing in this box except a measuring tape. And all you do is measure the size of your skulls and the biggest skull wins. What is cranium? That is right. That was a fun game. Mm -hmm. Remember? It had a moment. It was because you had all those different categories. And fun. And for 500. This card game can only be played when you host a meeting of your coven. It's a card game. Mm-hmm. A meeting of your coven. Yes. <laughs> right? Which uh-huh. is do what? What is spell? What is cast? What is Which is all curse. underneath the... What the, is crescent moon? What is the seven wonders? <laughs> which it all falls underneath what kind of topic or category? What is a cult? What is... A spell. A spell specifically. What is um, magic? The gathering. There you go. <laughs> Magic the Gap. There we go. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often. And that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the Gaze Shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written and performed by Dave Seaman and Mariella Klinger with Sean Slios on guitar. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, we are on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. 